I'm Jorge Salazar with the Texas Advanced Computing Center. It's easy to take a lot for granted. Scientists do this when they study stress, the force per unit area on an object. Scientists handle stress mathematically by assuming it to have symmetry. That means the components of the stress are identical if you transform the stressed object by doing something like a turn or a flip. Supercomputer simulations show that at the atomic level, material stress doesn't behave symmetrically. That's according to a study published September of 2018 in the Proceedings of the Royal Society A. The findings could help scientists come up with new materials such as glass or metal that doesn't ice up. On the phone to talk more about the stress study is co-author Li Ming Zhang, assistant professor in the Department of Aerospace Engineering at Iowa State University. Dr. Zhang used supercomputer allocations on Exceed, the extreme science and engineering discovery environment funded by the National Science Foundation. Exceed awarded Zhang access to the Comet system at the San Diego Supercomputer Center and Jetstream, a cloud environment supported by Indiana University, the University of Arizona, and the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Dr. Zhang, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. What are the main findings of your study on materials under stress at the atomic level? Uh, these are published in September of 2018 in the Proceedings of the Royal Society A. Yeah, basically we have uh, two major findings. The first one is the commonly used symmetric property of a stress tensor in classical container mechanics based on certain assumptions. And we find that that, is, that assumption is not valid anymore at atomic scale. The second findings that we have is uh, if we use a newly formulated stress tensor measurement to quantify the stress associated with uh, material defects, we found the uh, commonly used uh, real stress will underestimate the local stress associated with uh, material defects. But the new one will be working very well. But Dr. Zhang, you, you chose to study these stress tensors at the most basic level. Um, what's an easy way to describe what a stress tensor is? Well, the easiest way, because stress, stress tensor is a measurement for the internal force in a material. So the easiest way to define a stress tensor will be force per area, force per unit area. Why are scientists uh, studying stress tensors? What's the motivation for them to do this, and especially as you've done at the atomic level? People nowadays want to design the materials from the bottom up. Each material can be considered as a collection of atoms. So when you want to study the material behavior from the bottom up, you need to consider the motion of each atom. But if you really model the materials by atoms, degree of freedom will be huge. So that requires something to bridge the atomistic description of materials to a so-called continuum description of materials or homogenize the description of materials. So this kind of methodology is called multi-scale. Multi-scale is trying to bridge atomistic continuum. In order to develop a methodology for multi-scale modeling, we need to have consistent definition for each quantity at each level. So we have definition for stress at a continuum level. Correspondingly, we need to have a stress definition at atomic level. This is the motivation. We need to have a consistent definition of stress in both atomistic and continuum scales. Um, in your study, you, you looked at four different kinds of materials, I believe. What are some of the computational challenges that you faced in your simulations of crystals, of these crystals under stress? One major challenge for stress calculation in crystals is because the definition of stress is defined as force per area. When you look at this definition at atomic scale, that force will be 
atomic forces. That means the, uh, the interaction between each pair of atoms needs to be calculated. So the degree of freedom involved in this calculation will be huge because even a micro-sized sample will contain maybe billions of atoms. So billions of atomic pairs will request a huge amount of computation resource. Yeah, this is one challenge. Computation resource or degree of freedom will be huge in stress calculation at atomic level. Another one is there's no well-established formula to define a stress at an atomic level. So basically, we're trying to meet two challenges. One is to redefine the stress at a atomic level. The other one is if we have a well-defined stress quantity, can we use a supercomputing resource to calculate it? Dr. Zhang, you took these challenges and you, you came to exceed to help the extreme science and engineering discovery environment that's funded by the National Science Foundation. What exceed resources did you use and how did they help you overcome some of these challenges? Uh, we use Comet and uh, Jetstream. And to meet those two challenges I just mentioned, so the first step, we need to uh, define the stress at atomic level and develop a computer code and debug it and test it. So Jetstream is very suitable platform for us to do that work. We just develop the code and test it, uh, Jetstream. And because Jetstream is designed for small-scale calculations, not for large-scale. So when the code is developed and benchmarked and reported to large-scale, reported to Comet to perform a large-scale simulation using maybe hundreds or even thousands of processors. So this is how we use uh, Exit resource to perform this research. Uh, what were some of the things that were so hard to do where you had to experiment so much in order to come up with the right code? Uh, Comet is well suitable for large-scale simulation but we need to benchmark and validate our code first. So the debugging of that code needs feature of so-called cloud monitoring and the intelligence allocation resource on demand because that code was not available. We need to test it first. And Jetstream has a unique feature of cloud monitoring and intelligence allocation resource on demand. These are two most important features for us to choose Jetstream to, to develop the code. And Jetstream itself is a fairly new way of doing things for scientists, I believe, with these cloud benchmarking. Would you speak to your experiences? Like, how did it go? What was your experience with Jetstream like? Jetstream is, the most impressive part is the so-called cloud monitoring. That really impressed my research group because during the debugging stage of a code, we really need to monitor how the code is performing during the calculation because code is not fully developed, it's not benchmarked yet. We don't know which part is having a problem. The cloud monitoring can tell us how the code is performing during the running. So this is uh, very unique. Dr. Jian, would you speak to the bigger picture in science of how this work with stress tensors and discovering something new about them? Um, how does this work fit into the larger context of understanding uh, materials, old and new? So stress, just the one very fundamental qualities. If we finish the definition of the stress at the atomic level and which is going to be consistent with the definition at the continuum level. And this will provide a step stone for us to bridge the atomistic continuum. And this is very important to, for the establishment of a concurrent atomistic continuum simulation tool. And with that tool, we can predict the material performance and the properties and the behaviors from the bottom up.
by just considering the material as a collection of atoms, we can predict the behavior, its behaviors. Stress just a stepstone. With that, we have the quantities to bridge a mystical continuum. And to bring this home for, for people listening, um, uh, how does this research relate to ordinary people, to, to non-scientists? Many engineering processes actually in our daily life are controlled by the stress in materials. And I have several projects going on. One of them is de-icing from the surfaces of materials. Uh, the common phenomenon you will observe is uh, ice will be formed on the car window in the cold weather. And you want to remove it, you need to apply a force on the ice. So what is the force and what is energy it will cost to remove that ice? It's related with the stress tensor definition at the interfaces between the ice and the car windows. So basically the stress definition, if it's clear at a local scale, it will provide many guidance for us to use in our daily life. Um, like, does that allow um, invention of new uh, things to take off the ice or, or new materials that, re- that resist uh, freezing? Or, or how does that work? Yeah, typical direction that may work is uh, you can design the material surfaces at a very uh, fine scale, nano scale, or even atomic scale. And that surfaces will give a very low Adhesion between ice and the material surface. Adhesion is defined in terms of stress. So the adhesion will, with a specific design of the material surfaces, the adhesion between ice and the materials will be low. So that's, that will work, so-called uh, uh, anti-icing material surfaces. Ice will not be even formed on the, uh, on the material surface in cold weather. That would be amazing. Dr. Zhang, what's next for your research on these stress tensors? Yeah, we are, we are going to implement this stress tensor into a multi-scale modeling software. We have been developed for 10 years. And with that, maybe we're going to finish the development of a predictive multi-scale computational tool. And this tool will enable many amazing things. For example, another project I'm working on is uh, uh, use local stress concentration at the green boundary to induce crystallization in materials. And that thing can be used to convert graphite to diamond. Such, such phenomena will be related with the stress-induced uh, material behavior. That was using, using uh, did you say graphite? Yeah, graphite and diamond. So both of them are carbon, right? But the only difference is in the crystal structure. Graphite is very soft and very cheap. Diamond is hot, super hot and very expensive, but actually the chemical composition of both of them are carbon. If you want to convert graphite to diamond, the common strategy is uh, chemical reactions or high temperature, high pressure. But if you have a very local high stress concentration, that may be also possible. Uh, Dr. Zhang, thank you so much for taking this time out to speak with us today. I just have one last question. What's the most important thing that you want people to know about using supercomputers to help understand materials? Mm, supercomputers, uh, the good thing is a supercomputer is really powerful in computing. Nowadays, people want to speed up the development of new materials. People want to fabricate and understand the material behavior before putting it into really mass conducting, that will require a predictive simulation tool. So that predictive simulation tool usually considers materials as a collection of atoms. So 
the degree of freedom associated with atoms will be huge. Even for micro-sized sample contain billions of atoms, only supercomputer can help. So this is very unique for supercomputing. Dr. Zhang, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you. You've been listening to Li Ming Zhang of Iowa State University. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar. <laughs>